to the book of Matthew chapter 21. Matthew uh, 21 tonight. And as we begin to go into the Word of God uh, in that passage, I was reading a story about a preacher. And uh, this preacher was visiting an old woman from his congregation. So as he sat down, he noticed a large bowl of peanuts on the coffee table. He asked the lady, mind if I have a few? No, not at all, replied the old woman. So they chatted for an hour or so. Then as the preacher stood to leave, he was embarrassed to realize that instead of eating only a few peanuts, he had emptied most of the bowl. He said, I'm terribly sorry for eating all your peanuts. I really meant to eat just a few. Oh, that's all right, smiled the old woman. Ever since I lost my teeth, all I can do, <laughs> all I can do is suck the chocolate from them. Sometimes you just can't help yourself, isn't it? So much tonight for only a few peanuts. But you would agree with me tonight, he paid quite a price. And I want to talk to you tonight for a few moments, if I could. A sermon I've entitled, No, But Yes. See, Jesus, as you read the scriptures in the Bible has always offered us his believers with very simple and clear instructions. Much of the Bible is filled with simple uh, uh, ways that God has provided to us in how we should live our lives. It is human beings, it is our nature to confuse what he has presented to us. And I've realized if there's one thing I could say this evening, the problem oftentimes isn't the instruction that we find in the book. In fact, it is our inability to be honest. We find ourselves in a culture today that is strongly driven by agreeableness. Sumwa pun boleh. And I want to talk about that spirit for a few moments out of Matthew 21, verses 28 to 31. The Bible says, but what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go, work today in my vineyard. And he asked and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and he went. Then he came to the second and said likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Now, when you read a passage like that, you, you have to realize that what Jesus is saying here is somewhat so ludicrous, somewhat 
like throwing the baby out of the bath water. To a certain extent, it's so shocking. The harlots and tax collectors will go to God's kingdom before me? I mean, Jesus, are you mistaken with that statement you just made? How is it possible that a person who has come to Christianity, a person who claims that they're living for God, will be behind the harlot and the tax collectors? How is that even possible? And I begin to dig into this passage because the story we're reading narrates the story of two sons that responded distinctly different to their father. One said yes and did not go. While the other said no, he regretted his no and he did it. The instructions were simple. Son, go to my vineyard and work today. That was all. There wasn't anything confusing about that statement. There was nothing to be debated concerning that. It was a simple, clear instruction. Get up, go and work in my vineyard today. But as I said, one said yes and did not do it, while the other said no and regretted and he did it. Yet the yes man refused to be honest. Maybe he feared the repercussion. Maybe he was afraid of the consequences he would have to face if he said no to his father. Maybe he was afraid of what he was going to experience by saying no to his father. So he said yes, so he could be seen as a team player. But this is where we must establish his dishonesty. He was a dishonest man. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, in my reading this week, I came across this passage and I thought it was so well put. The Bible says, Solomon says, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. And the dishonesty of that passage is seen with the second son we find in this passage. He said yes, but his heart wasn't with his father. In fact, he so easily betrayed his father's trust. There was an absence of remorse. There was a lack of conviction. He said yes, but the fact remains for a son to still not go and do what he has said yes to. For a man or a woman or even an individual that as we see in this passage, to say yes and not do it, it gives me the impression, according to what we're reading today, the absence of remorse, the lack of conviction. On the other hand, the man who was honest, Let's give him the benefit of the doubt tonight, can we? He might have had responsibilities to care for. He might have had other matters that were piled up for the day. He might have had some other necessary uh, uh, duties he had to fulfill. So his answer to his dad was an honest no. 
So when you think about it, in his honesty, this man was inevitably being who he was. See, an undisputed reality of the two combinations in our culture today, where people's yes have meant, have, have become to a place where it means no. And people's no means yes. It seems this is the culture we're living in. A generation today that have become so comfortable with the absence and the lack of integrity in our own lives. What do you mean by that, pastor? In Matthew 5, 37, But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So it's saddening that we can make commitments or vows or yes statements and yet feel so comfortable to not even fulfill or keep it. How is it possible that a Christian can commit to something? How is it possible that we can nod our head and say, Yes, man. Yes, sir. Yes, I will do it. But yet walk away from there, just like the second son, completely ditch the idea of doing what you've committed to and go on with feeling no sense of remorse. How is it we can blame it to our own lack of uh, um, uh, sensitivity and how often we blame it, oh, I had this to do and I had that to do. Then I say to you, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be careful what you agree to. You can never keep your heart right with God without honesty and integrity. Do what we mean, what we say, and keep an account of it. You see, our, our heart, sorry, our words, hear me out very carefully. Our words, we've always heard it say, our words reveal where our hearts reside. Isn't it? But I've come to disagree with that statement. Because some are so good at words. Some are so good at covering up. Some are so good at articulating beautiful words that I have my doubt that our words are the revealer of the heart. Many fall in love because the so-called person they're dating speak flowery words to them. Until they get married and they find out, uh-oh, I got married to a dope. Am, am I right? Uh, how many times we have heard people speak, Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm, I'm all in, pastor. Yeah, yeah. We take words at face value. I've got your back. Yeah. They pray some of the most articulate prayers. Don't you realize that? Sometimes the most beautiful of prayers. They make some of the most wonderful of statements. But I've come to conclusion that it's not our words that reveal our hearts. It's our words in action that reveals where our heart resides. 
Let me add, let me, let me say that again. It's not our words that reveal where our heart is anymore. I, I mean, not any, I think God has been very clear. Look, you look at this passage. His son said, yes, 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 isn't it? He said, yes, but that was not his heart. He knew how to make it sound beautiful. He knew what to say so that his father will not get upset. He knew he doesn't want to rock the boat. And because he had a spirit of agreeableness, he kept saying yes. I think the real essence to where our heart resides is our words in action. Our words in action. That means what you say is done in action and when our action bears witness to our words that reveals where our heart really is if you say you love jesus then your actions should bear witness to your words this is the problem i find today we fail to realize that words are taken into account Matthew 12, 36, the Bible says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Words have been treated so lightly today. Jesus uses the terminology here. The word used in our passage, idle. The word idle means in the Greek, argos. Argos simply means inactive. Sterile. It has the idea of callous words or casual words. In other words, the picture of a person who speaks idle words are a person who just casually says yes, but doesn't mean what he says. A person who carelessly, without counting the cost, would say yes, but doesn't mean what he says. In other words, if there is a fear of God in us, we will be calculative with the words we speak, knowing that we are accountable to them or for them. The passage convinces me that the son who said no, the first son, calculated his words that somewhere, though it wasn't a response many will applaud to, but it was a response of sincerity and genuineness. I can tell you, beloved, that one thing I appreciate in all my years of ministry are the many people who have come into church, have heard the message, and have said, Pastor, I'm not ready to receive Jesus. I respect that. Because you understand that you're in a place where if you say yes, I'm just pleasing you. But if I say no, it is sincere, it is genuine. When I'm ready, I know where to come. I think God honors that sincerity. God honors that spirit of honesty that upon reflection and he began to walk away from that. The Bible says he said no, but he walked away from that session with his dad and the Bible says he regretted it. He came to a place where he regretted what he said. He, he, I shouldn't have said no. 
I, 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 I should have agreed. I shouldn't have said no. But as soon as he reflected on his decision, as soon as he reflected on his choice, the Bible begins to tell us he made changes and made the priorities in order. This was a man of character. Action speaks louder than words. We've heard that said time and time again. And I believe, beloved, I believe with all my heart, just like the first son that we find in this passage, God can change a person who says no to him, but God will leave the dishonest person to himself. God can change an honest person. Says, I'm not ready. Fine. God can work in him. And you find this to be true with Jacob. The lack of honesty limits what God can do in our lives. When men and women come to church, when men and women are dishonest, when men and women become duplicious and they pretend on the outward that they are what they are, they expect people to think of them a certain way, what we simply do with our dishonesty, we push God away with our dishonesty. Jacob, a prime example of a man who refused to face reality. We know the story. The Bible says the angel came at night, began to fight this man and he fought back. He fought back. He pushed back because he refused to get honest with God. He refused to get honest. He did not, he loathed the idea of being sincere and honest. He loathed the idea of knowing who he really was. Proverbs 12, verses 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Dishonesty is underscored by lies. In our refusal to be honest, and the Bible says in the Ten Commandments that we should bear no false witness. We should not be liars. That we should be people who speak the truth. That we should respect people who would say no at times. That there must be a conversation that can build from their no. That when people are dishonest, beloved, it refuses the ability for God to move and to work in their lives. In our refusal to be honest, we damage relationships that are of great value to us. In this case, what damaged the relationship? Study with me just a few moments. What damaged the relationship of the second man with his father? What damaged the yes man's relationship with, with the father? Think about it. You can speak the sweetest words, most enticing words, but what we fail to realize is that our words carry with it a spirit. We say something and we do otherwise. Can I say that again? That damages relationship. We say something and we do otherwise. That in simple terms is called rebellion. 
The yes man damaged his relationship with his father not because he said yes, but because behind his yes was rebellion. He said yes, but he rebelled against his father. And this right here is the virtue and the very thing that destroys the relationships of God, of the people that God has put in your life. When you begin to come with dishonesty, when you speak a word yes on the outside, but do otherwise on the back, or fail to keep to what you say you will do, that, beloved, is a spirit of rebellion. So it wasn't the yes that damaged the relationship. It wasn't the no that damaged the It was the spirit behind the yes or no that damaged the relationship. You can also say no with rebellion. There was a man who was sent out many years ago and um, he pastored a church uh, not far from his mother church. And um, his pastor began to share this story with me that one night due to some personal reasons, it was a Wednesday night, uh, this man decided that he was going to keep the church closed personal reasons he had, he uh, didn't, didn't bother to tell anything to the pastor. pastor is a f- close friend of mine, never mentioned a word to him. And so lo and behold, uh, on that night after the service, the pastor called him up Thursday morning and asked him, how did service go? This man outrightly lied to the pastor. He turned, he said, oh, pastor, service was powerful. It was fired on. We were having, we had a great time. We had a fantastic. Bear, bear in mind, this, this, is, this is a pastor. And um, the pastor slowly let the bag out of, uh, sorry, the cat out of the bag. He said, Listen, I had a lady call me last night. She said she went to your church and the church doors were closed. What happened? So later the man admitted and so on and so forth. When the pastor began to find out this, it was all a lie, wasn't true. No doubt, it damaged their relationship. What was it? Was it that he didn't say yes? No. He simply acted out in complicitness. Hiding, pretension, deception. And that damage, and he said, why, why, what, what happened, Pastor, why? See, so many times, it is that spirit that destroys good relationships. See, to do the will of the Father is to do what is pleasing to God. Which is why to say yes but no is sin. The Bible says to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. But to say no but yes isn't a sin. I want you to catch this. This is very important here. To say yes but not do it is sin. But to say no and then do it, it doesn't seem like it's a sin. 
And I think in this context, based on the story, we had one son who said yes to his father and he didn't do what he said yes to. Whereas the other son said no to the father and he went regretting what he said and he went on and did what the father wanted him to do. So the action, as I began to study, I thought about this, I thought the action overwrite the intentions. The action of the man overwrote the intentions. And I can tell you, beloved, in all my years I've observed, we can never go wrong pleasing God. And that is the distinct denominator. The decision must always be to please God. The man who did the will of God ultimately pleased God. In verses 31, which of the two did the, did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. It is the man who pleased God. It is the man who turned around and said, God, if saying yes means pleasing you, I will do it. If saying no means pleasing you, I will do it. I will do what pleases you ultimately. This is why, beloved, the, the condition or the combination of this passage is not limited to what we are reading because in this passage, no doubt, this man had to say yes and then he went on not doing it. On the other hand, the other man said no and he went on and did it, but in life you will face circumstances where you have said yes to certain things and you're going to have to say no to please God. And there are times you've said no to God and now you have to repent and say yes to God. So whichever the combination may be this evening, maybe it's an issue in the world, you've been saying yes to it. Maybe it's certain thoughts you've had and you've been saying and it displeases God. It's time you start saying no to those thoughts. Ultimately, with the sole purpose of pleasing God. The netto. You know what netto means? No action, talk only. Who doesn't walk his talk can never please God. The yes man will never please God. This is a learned behavior. We easily agree to everything, but fail to deliver. You know, we often say yes to everybody, so much so, we have to say no to God. What areas tonight of our lives have we said yes to God and have failed to deliver? Have we lost the reverence and the fear of God that we can simply speak words, commit, make vows, say yes, 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 God, yes, Dad, yes, Father, I will do that. And then have no remorse about completely not fulfilling what you said. See, you and I are accountable to the words we speak. Do we carelessly, do we casually spew them out just because we want to look good? 
just because we want to seem like a team player. What's, what words have we spoken and have not fulfilled? What words are God going to judge us based on? You said you were going to do this. You said you were going to adhere to that. You said you were going to keep this. You said you were going to fulfill that. You said you were going to wake up and pray. You said you were going to spend more time with me. You said, but the next day, the moment you leave church, the moment you go home, you get a little comfortable, you sleep in. I think God looks at us and says, what a liar. What a liar. I've been around people, church. And I've heard some people talk smack. <laughs> you know what talk smack is? It's, they, they talk big about themselves. But I can tell you, beloved, for me, for you, and everyone else, we have to give an account one day. God's going to judge us on that. Does it bother you that you lie? This is a lie when we say yes and we don't do it. It's a lie. Oh, but pastor, you're being too judgmental. No, I understand circumstances may change. I understand that certain things may happen in life. I, I get that. I'm not referring to circumstances. I'm talking about letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Matthew or Mark chapter 14, 31. Look, look at Peter. Peter is, is a, a vivid example of many, many Christians who, who probably will say, you know, oh, you don't understand what the pressure he went through. He spoke more vehemently. Listen to those words. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. What did Peter do? Peter, does your words mean nothing? But pastor, don't you understand? Peter was under pressure. I, I get it. But it seems like it was a man who made this words. He said, I will die with you. Then prove it. Die for him. Does it mean that just because the pressure heated up, my words mean nothing? What happened, church? Satan. Satan made empty promises to Jesus, didn't he? What did he say? If you fall down and you worship me, if you fall down and you worship, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. Oh, what a liar. He owned nothing. It all doesn't belong to him. What, what is he talking about? I'll give it all to you, Jesus. You know, I was reading the book, um, talking to strangers, just reading an excerpt from there. And uh, Malcolm Gladwell so aptly, you know, penned this down. He said, you know, those, those were the days where you can look at someone who's telling you a lie and you can look at their eyebrow, you can look at their eye and you can see their mouth movement. And they, they, they were called lie detectors. You can detect when someone was telling a lie. But he said, uh, everything has changed now. Now, even when they do that, they're telling the truth. So much so, people fall into all kinds of scams today. Gehazi. 
damaged his relationship with his master, Elisha, because of a lie. What is it? He ran after the man and he said, my, my, King Ahab, King Ahab, listen, my master wants you to give him that offering. It was a lie. So let's close then. Because the only way to get this right is by taking the position of the first son. Because by taking the position of the first son simply means you're willing to repent and make the necessary change. In Matthew 5, 33 to 37, I'm going to read from the message translation tonight. You don't probably have that translation on, on the uh, screen, but just listen to this. I love it. Just listen, Matthew 5, 33 to 37, from the message. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our tradition. You only make things worse when you lay down a smoke screen of pious talk, saying, I'll pray for you, and never doing it. Or saying, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate your words to get your own way, you go wrong. Ooh, I love the message. But that's so true. Why do we try to sound more religious? I'll pray for you. Do, you. do you actually pray for them? Oh, brother, I'll just pray for you. That's why I, 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 when I say it, I mean it. I don't say it to everybody. I'm a liar. I'm a liar if I told you I'll pray for you and I don't. I'm a liar, but you see the Christian world is filled with, oh, I'll pray for you, brother. Are you sure? How many times we do not mean what we say? Today, charisma has triumphed over character. The personality of people it doesn't matter. They can say and speak lies from the pulpit, but that's what people want to hear. We don't measure people anymore by their uh, character. And I want to say to you as we close, whether you've said no or yes to God, what you have failed to do, you have to do quickly. You've got to sit down. You've got to identify areas in your lives. Just like the first son, he walked away from there. He regretted it. He was remorseful. It's interesting to me. People make empty promises today. People speak idle words today and they feel no remorse. No conviction. You hear a lot of yes. You hear a lot of yes men. The sad truth is, it never gets done. The Bible begins to give us insight. You got to repent. The Bible says he regretted. You got to repent from those things you have not completed, the things you have committed to do and you have not done. You've got to repent. You've got to get it right. You've got to bring it to the altar and say, God, you know what? I, I, I made some, I said I was going to pray, God, but I just 
could care less. I just wrote it. God, I said I was going to give more, but you know what? I just decided to dismiss it. God, I said I was going to serve more, but you know what? I just thought I'll just push it aside. God, I said I'm going to give my attention more to your kingdom, but I just thought, you know what? I'll do it another day. What have you made yeses to God and have failed to fulfill? It can be intriguing, beloved, to identify those areas. We always say God will understand, but don't take Him for a ride. Don't take advantage of His grace. He can be a good God, but He is also a judge. We have to come to a place where we ask the Holy Spirit to clear our conscience. Because how many know we can become callous? Just like the first son. No, no conviction. The, uh, sorry, the second son. Yes, dad. I will do it. Yes, dad. Have you done it? How is it? Because it's a behavior. It's a behavior to just please everyone. It's a behavior to agree with everyone. And now because you've done it for so many times, the conviction is missing. We can go or we can live life without honoring what we said. There's a term in the psychology circle. It says high agreeableness, low conscientiousness. I think this is the culture we live in. People who agree oftentimes with what we say. Agreeable, everything. Yes, 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 yes. Agree. But they are laid back. Their disorder, the word conscientiousness simply means a sense of discipline, a sense of diligence, a sense of responsibility, a sense of being able to have an orderly pattern, a disciplined pattern. But there are the culture that they see rising up today is they highly agree with everything you say. Everything you say, yes, yes, yes. But they are low in conscientiousness. In other words, they are not diligent. They don't do it with proper discipline. There's a lack of diligence. There is a lack of responsibility. But they will say yes to everything. Action, but without the service. Sadly, as we close... The kingdom of God suffers with many unfinished tasks. As you read around the world, I was so moved by what I was listening to today. I was reading the story of a man by the name of Sammy Dagger, who's a missionary in Lebanon. I'll just tell you the story of Sammy Dagger and we close. This man turned and he said yes to God. He went into an, a, a nation filled with Muslims and he labored and he's laboring in that nation. And in the story they begin to portray, he shares this interesting, powerful testimony. He begins to talk about how, you know, uh, as he's laboring, 
he walks into this, the church and they have a church there, they have a clinic attached to the church. And in that building, as he's walking in, the rebels have come in, they have thrown all of the baskets around, they have damaged the building, they have caused a ruckus in the, uh, in the area. He walks into the clinic, as he's walking in, he goes in there, he sees one of his staff, a nurse, in a pool of her own blood. He looks at her, he begins to weep. The rebels had come in, they had pointed a gun and put it into her mouth and had shot her dead so she couldn't scream for help. And he goes on and he says, moving from there, one night there was a knock on his door. And the son, a 13-year-old boy, he wasn't home. Sammy wasn't home at that time. This man is a, Sammy is a pastor. He wasn't home at that time. So his wife, his son was at home. The son opened the door and as he opened the door, there was a gun pointing at his son. At 10 o'clock at night. And the story goes that the son was threatened by this rebel who said to him, if you don't tell your father to stop helping these people, if you don't tell your father to stop ministering to these people, preaching to them, tomorrow night I'm going to be back here and I'm going to shoot you. And so when Sammy got home that night, he, was, he saw his wife and his son weeping and crying. He said, what, what happened? They said at 10 o'clock tonight, there was a man who came to, and he pointed a son. They told him the story. Sammy went into his library. He was sitting down in his office. He began to cry. He said, God, what do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to do? The story goes on that Sammy begins to read scriptures in the Bible. God began to speak to him. And over and over and over and over again, he says, the only scripture that kept coming back to him was, do good to those who persecute you. Do good and speak well of them and put the coals on your enemy's head. And the story went on and on. Sorry, the Bible, the scripture that kept coming back to him was along those lines. He said, I, I just continued to do what I could do. He woke up the next morning, he went, he continued to minister, he continued to help the people there. He began, and at night again, that very night, at 10, 10, 30 at night, this rebel came to his door and knocked on the door of his house again. And this time Sammy was there, he opened the door, and this man was with a gun on his hand. He said, I told you not to do it anymore. And this moment as this man was standing there, his wife, Sammy's wife, ran in front of Sammy, began to push him backwards, but he, Sammy pushed his wife away. He turned around to the gunman. He said, shoot you, coward. The gunman put his head down and he walked away. And he attributes that to the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the reason... There's so much unfinished task. It's because we have too many yes men that don't want to do anything with what they say. Yes, yes, yes. Yes men are men who cannot be trusted. Yes men are the men who require constant supervision, a constant eye on them. 
And often they carry a trade. If they can say yes to you, they'll probably also say yes to the rest of the world. So my challenge tonight is will you say yes to God? Will you start being cautious with the words you speak? Will you begin being calculative about the words? When you say yes, would you say, Holy Spirit, convict my heart that will teach you how to be less and less spewing words and saying things unnecessarily. Because beloved, if we're going to impact our nation, if we're going to make a difference with Christianity, we need men, we need women that will say yes and will do what they say yes to. I want you to bow your heads with me.